Okay, let's have a seat, everybody. Let's have a seat. Uh, Good morning to you. One more time. Good morning to you. It's good to see you. Uh, We have quite a number of people that will be watching us online today, either live or watching it later. So good morning to you all. It's so good to have you with us. Can, Can I pray? Matter of fact, if you're, if you'd like to just come up here and sit and put your leg on my stool, you're welcome to. I got room for five or six more. We'd be glad to have you. Father, I just thank you for our church family. I thank you for the way they love you and none of us are perfect, but we just keep being one, wanting to be more like Christ. So would you do a number of miracles in our midst by touching hearts, minds, and even bodies today? Let us know you're here and you care for us. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Uh, I'm going to talk about a vision for the future. And uh, we're going to go, we did all last year, we went through the book of Revelation chapter by chapter, and that was a great study. But talking about the future, I want to share some things that's on my heart and my mind. And so let's turn to Matthew, please. Matthew 24. How many have your Bibles? Hold your hand up. If you don't have one, we got stacks of them out in the lobby. I'm going to start reading verse number 36. And this is... Some of the things that Christ said his last week on earth in Jerusalem. He was asked a question. When is a kingdom going to be in full rule here on planet earth? And these chapters are his answer. But concerning the hour and the day, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but the father only. For as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were doing just what people do. They were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day no Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware. Everyone say unaware. And I think much of the church in our country are unaware of the hour and the day. Unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So there will be, that'll be like the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, verse 42 Stay awake. Would you repeat that, please? Stay awake. For you do not know what day your Lord is coming. And know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. Say the word ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, the next phrase is important for us. Two words. Who then is faithful and wise? Whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. I want to back up and look at verse number 32, do you see it? Did you guys notice there was something in the news yesterday? That there was fighting and war that broke out in Israel yesterday? Okay. Verse 32, from the fig tree. What do you, what is is the billboard? What's the picture? What is it? The, The fig tree. Jesus is using an illustration. I'm not sure I understand it. 
But I want to point it out to you. From the fig tree, you need to learn its lesson. As soon as a branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, what things? The things above in the chapter 24. You know that I am near at the very gate. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Now, I'm not sure which interpretation is accurate. It says, when this generation is alive, and it links it to the fig tree, and it links it to all the things above that happens, you know it's that generation when I'm coming. Now, some people feel that the fig tree is a picture of Israel. And on May 24th, 1948, when Israel became a nation again, it was huge in history. A nation that was scattered 2,000 years became a nation again. And it was God's chosen people. And it could be that Jesus is pointing out to the rebirth of the nation And it's in that generation he will return. Now, I'm not sure which one of those is true, but I do say this. I don't even know how long a generation is. In some places in the Bible, it's 40 years. Other places, it's 60 years. I've seen some places, it's 100 years. So I don't know, but you need to know. When Israel became a nation, that's a very important picture for us to pay attention to now the war that broke out yesterday uh, Hamas that broke from the Gaza Strip in about 22 places or is fighting in 22 towns down in that southwest corner uh, they had a great plan took the Israelis by surprise A lot of people have died. People have been kidnapped. Uh, It it could be very ugly in the days and weeks ahead. But that started all the way from Iran. Iran furnishes weapons, and they are the mobilizer for a lot of bad things. And they hate Israel, and they want Israel destroyed and off the map. We need to pray that this is a short war that it is contained, that people are kept safe, and Jesus is going to be glorified regardless, okay? But things are afoot. Now, uh, I want to ask you the passages we just read. Would you guess, is it possible that they are important to the Lord Jesus? What do you think? Could they be important? What do you think? Do you think? I think they're very, very important. And I want to share some things today. Things that are on my heart. And from this passage, there are things we need to consider as we walk through the verses of what he said. Well, first first off, how long will it be before Jesus comes back? Nobody knows. We don't know the hour. We don't know the day. But Jesus said you could pay attention to scripture. You could pay attention to stuff that's happening in the culture. And you could get an idea of the season. Uh, we could be in a season, or we are in a season right now that's very important. Now, according to the passage, Jesus also used an example of the people that were alive during Noah's day, a real person, this really happened, real flood, and they were unaware. I mean, it took decades to build this ship that was two football fields long, and they watched it and they mocked. And Noah told them they needed to be aware and told them what was happening. And all of them, except Noah's family, just laughed and mocked. And But when God closed the big door and the rain started and the flood came, all of a sudden they went, oh my. They were unaware. 
And I would say most Americans, even most American Christians, are completely unaware of what's going on in the culture, what's going on prophetically. So we don't want to be unaware. Jesus said we could and we should stay awake. Everyone say stay awake. Uh, turn to your neighbor and tell them not to sleep during the sermon today. Tell, tell you, go ahead and tell them, please, 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 please stay awake. And, and he linked this, he said it three times. Why stay awake? Because you don't know when, when everything changes. You don't know when the king is coming back. And he is coming back physically to planet earth. And he also said, these are his own words, I'm coming back when you least expect it. And so right after that, in the very next phrase, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay awake and I want you to be ready. Everyone say ready. And for a long time, I read this and I thought ready means I just want everybody I love to be saved. I want everybody to know Christ as Savior. I want everybody to be forgiven of their sins. But I think that's a small part. I think he's speaking to the church. So that we will be doing what he wants us to be doing. Now, Steve, define what does being ready mean. It means that you're proactive. Everyone say proactive. Well, I don't even know what proactive means. It means you have a plan. It means you are thinking ahead. Most people do not think ahead. And most people don't have a plan of action. And so we need to always be proactive. Don't wait till it blows up. Be proactive. Get ahead of the curve. Whether it's parenting or your marriage or your finances or your faith, we all need to be proactive. The opposite of being proactive is to be passive. Don't be passive. Us men have a flaw we get from our great, 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 great grandfather Adam of being passive. We let stuff go on and on and on, and we don't do stuff, we don't do what we should, and then we blow up. Well, you should have done something two years ago. You should have turned this thing around. And the other the other part is being focused, being focused. So you're proactive, and you know what you need to do. You're focused. Now, our Savior, in this passage, he said there were two traits. How many traits? Two traits I want for my children, I want for my servants that will be live on the planet at the time. And the first one is to be faithful. Everyone say be faithful. That is a great trait. Faithfulness means that you are trustworthy all the time. You're going to do the right thing, even when it's inconvenient. You're going to do what you say you do. You're going to be dependable. And heaven's looking for people that are trustworthy and then committed. You're not 50% on. You're not on one day and then you're, you're absent or out of touch for a month. You are just committed. You're committed to the things God wants you to be committed to. And your children grow up seeing you committed. They don't, they want to see you growing up being up and down and up and down and back and forth and they want you, the, your family needs to see that you're trustworthy and committed. And since I keep having birthdays, I think your children and my children need to see you being trustworthy when they're in their 30s and 40s and you're in your 60s and 70s. They probably need you more then than they do when they're, they're 13 and 14. They need you being stable like a rock. Not perfect, but stable. And then the other, the other trait is wise. Everyone say wise. Wise has nothing to do with IQ. Wise has nothing to do with how many years of schooling you had. You maybe can't even read very well or write very well, but in the eyes of heaven, you are very wise. You may be the wisest person in all the city. Well, what does it mean? Here's the best definition of wisdom. You see things from God's perspective. 
And you have to slow down. You have to think. You have to know the scriptures. You have to spend time with prayer. Lord, what do you think about this? What should I do? And then Jesus went on to say, blessed. Everyone say blessed. Blessed means he does things you can, for you that you can never do for yourself. And I think his words are also interesting. I've never seen this before. Blessed are those who the master finds doing. Everyone say doing. Well, Steve, I thought faith was where it is and belief is where it is. No, it just starts with faith. It starts with belief. But if it never turns to action, you don't have much faith. You really don't have much belief because you're not acting on what you know you should do. Faith without follow through is no faith. So would you like to be blessed of the Lord? Hold your hand up. Would you like to be blessed of the Lord? Okay, then ask him to make you faithful. Ask him to make you wise. Because when he returns, and this is another interesting phrase I had not seen before. He will reward those who he has set over his household. What's that about? Well, think of a huge estate, a big ranch, a big kingdom. And every person in this room has been given responsibility in that kingdom. Mine is different from yours. And yours is different from the sister on the aisle from you. We all have different callings, different responsibilities. But he set you over things. And he expects us to be good stewards of what he has set us over. So I'm just kind of thinking out loud with this message today. Okay, Lord. If you said, blessed are those servants who are doing what you want them to do when you come, what does it look like? What does Jesus want us at Church of the Savior and you watching online to be doing until he comes? I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want him to say, Lord, I needed more time or I never got around to that. I want the Lord to say, good job. Now, this is not in your notes, but you may want to write it down. Christians think somehow because we believe the right thing and we have our theology correct and we know the Bible, that's all we have to do. Well, I got news for you. Jesus is not going to reward any of us based on what you think. (laughs) And he's not going to reward you for based on what you believe. Eternal rewards. When we receive Christ, our sins are under the blood. We're not going to get punished in the next life, but we all will individually stand before his throne and be rewarded, not for what we thought, not for what we said, not for what we believe, but did you do what I ask you to do? That is the yardstick. For how we will be rewarded. That's why it's very important. That we are faithful and wise. All of our life. We don't check out. Don't get our feelings hurt. Don't all of a sudden decide. Listen to a dark voice saying. God doesn't exist. And God doesn't care. That is from Satan. We want him to say. Well done. Would you repeat that please? Well done, good and faithful servant. So I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud. I, I talk to myself. I answer myself. I go around thinking, okay, Lord, if you want me to be faithful, if you want us to be faithful and wise, in the time we have left, Some of us keep having birthdays. How much could we do to honor Jesus in the time we have? How much time? I don't know. 
going to be 40 years before he comes back? I don't, I think, I don't think so. I think it'll be sooner. If we had five years, if we had 10 years, we had 20 years, we don't, none of us know in this room what day we take our last breath either. So we need to be thinking through, what am I going to do with the time I've got? And I just wrote down today, I shared this with the board on Monday night, thinking about the future. There's 11 things on my heart that I'm thinking about, I'm pondering about. And if you were to ask me, Steve, uh, do you know how to pull off these things? I would tell you, absolutely not. Or, Steve, do you have confidence in your strength that you can pull off some of these or any of these or all of these? I'll have to say, uh, no, I do not. If Jesus pulls off three of these, I will say, you did it. But we need to be thinking. We need to be proactive. We need to do all we can in the short time we've got. Now, here's the first one, and I think it's the most important one. We're going to continue to grow the prayer movement that's growing here at Church of the Savior. There's a lot of prayer groups. I bet I'm in four prayer groups a week, maybe even more. I don't even count them sometimes. Or is it perfect? Nope. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's like pulling teeth. But prayer groups across the city... But the prayer movement in this city and in this church is the most important thing. Because prayer tells God, you don't have what it takes. You're not smart enough. You're not gifted enough. You can't fix yourself. You can't fix the culture. And you're inviting him to step in and do what you cannot do. Lord, I got 2%. Step in and do your 98%. That's called prayer. And at Church of the Savior, we are dependent on that, and it is absolutely the key to everything. If anything is good here, it's because of prayer. That's the only reason. Not because anybody's smart, not because anybody's talented or dedicated. Now, some of you that came through these two doors out there, there is something written over the two doors. Can anybody guess what is written over the two doors? Can anybody guess? Remember, third grade level, everything's on the screen. So what is written above the doors? Say it with me. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say a house of evangelism, a house of teaching, a house of missions. All that's important. But where does it start? We got to get in God's presence. And we need his touch. And I have a dream. This is a crazy dream, a wonky dream, but just audacious enough to think and ask. Lord, could Lexington, Kentucky, in the coming years, become the most prayed for city in America? We're known for a lot of things, but could we be known as a place where God dwells? I think I think we could. Now, I want to show you this. This is an attendance chart. Can anybody see the date when it started? 1986 is when the church got started in the living room of uh, a pastor that we dearly love who's with the Lord now. Uh, he was there three years, but he started this in his living room and then went to hotels and a cafeteria in a Catholic school. I came in 93. Looks like that may be about seven little rows up. But have you noticed something? Do you notice where the chart, it goes from like this, 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 and then it goes this, 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 this. You can even see the two COVID years. You see them up there? 
Do you know, you know what happened? A small group of people here, Pastor David Fultz was one of them, Linda Mountain was one, there's a number of us said we have to take prayer from the fringe of the ministries and move it to the center. Instead of it being like missions and children's ministry and evangelism and Bible classes, we need to not make it equal with all those It's got to be the hub of everything. And when we did that, I think I I just went back and counted over 10 years. We averaged 13% growth every year for 10 years. We are the money rose 13% every year for 10 years. I tell young pastors who are struggling, you have to make this place a house of prayer. If you want to see God, if God comes, other people will come. So are you with me so far? Now, the second one is we got to share the gospel. We see people come to Christ every week. We want to see more. And we have to share the gospel, not just in Lexington, but across Kentucky, the U.S., and to the ends of the earth because it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It causes people to be saved. For us to be a church and not intentionally share the gospel, we we don't understand anything. Third, we got to make disciples. Everyone say disciples. Now, what's the difference between a disciple and a Christian? A Christian received Jesus. But a disciple is someone that received Jesus, and they decide they're going to walk with Jesus all their life. And they develop the spiritual disciplines of the faith. They learn to pray. They are in the scriptures. They share their faith. They serve. They honor the Lord with their money, and that's called disciple. Jesus is looking not for converts. He's looking for disciples, and we want to help people. If somebody's with us two years, we want to say, boy, they've really grown in skills and heart. And it is what, what is this called, Christ what? Great Commission. If it's important to him, it's important to us. And this is a growing burden I have. We should focus on people not my age, but people, babies, elementary, middle school, high school, college, out of college. We need to empower them to serve Jesus. I started at age 18 because there was nobody doing anything. We need to turn over stuff to young people and let them own it as much as we can. And we need a process for measuring that. If this is important, we need a process and we need benchmarks. Okay, how are we doing? How did we do last year? Who are we helping? Who are we investing? Who are we empowering? Which ones of your kids Or not just coming to church. Coming to church is not enough. Which ones of your kids are serving the Lord? They're serving others. Number four, we want to see our missions, vision, simply explode. A, how many unreached people groups can we adopt? Well, what's an unreached people group? A group of people with the same language. There are no churches, no pastors, no missionaries, no Bibles in their language. They are trapped in Islam, Buddhism, trapped in all kinds of idolatry, and no one will come and share the gospel with them. Now, five years ago, there's about 3,500 unreached people groups, and we want to help as many of them as we can. What's the flag up on the screen? Five years ago, we adopted three. One is Japan. We have three of our best families living in Japan right now. And uh, we love the Japanese people the Lord has brought here. He brought them here. We have a wonderful ministry that reaches out and loves Japanese women. They are, I think, the biggest unreached people group in the world. One percent that know Jesus. What is this flag? That's Clemson's flag. Now, what is, what is that flag? Anybody know? That's Nepal. 
At the same time, a group of businessmen said, we got to make a difference. And they put together about a million dollars. Ten of them put plunk down a hundred thousand. Let's reach the precious Nepalese people. We have a lot of Nepalese in our city. And uh, people started going. They pointed, they found 54 unreached people groups. And in six years, each one of those people groups have been penetrated and there's gospel work. And the Nepalese people are amazing. I've been once, but the church planters, the Nepalese people have done this unbelievable thing. They've set a goal that in three years, they want to share the gospel in 10,000 villages. Everyone. They don't want a single village in this country of Nepal not to have a gospel witness because everybody needs to hear the gospel at least once. And then the nation of Israel, they're still God's chosen people. They have resistant hearts right now, but there are more Jews and frankly, more Jews and Muslims that have come to Christ in the last 20 years than ever before. And the time will come, the whole nation will turn to Jesus. And they will have a big part in the last end gathering. So I'd love to see a full-time missions pastor here. I'd love to see us raise a million dollars every year toward missions. I want us to love, serve, reach as many of the refugees, as many of the internationals we have These are precious people from the Congo. We have a Swahili fellowship that uh, they will meet. They will start about 1230. Um, These are kids from uh, Guatemala. Uh, These are precious Japanese college students. And the Lord is bringing them to our country. If we won't go to them... He will bring them to us because he loves them and cares about them. And this verse, if you've never seen it, Leviticus 19.4 says this. And God is speaking to the chosen people, the Jews. And he says this. I want you to remember that you were once strangers in Egypt. So I don't want you to, I want you to be kind to the foreigner, the stranger. I want you to serve them. I want you to love them. Because you remember where you once were. Now, uh, E, I want us to get more people out on mission trips. Uh, were any of you in Mexico last week? Any, uh, any of you? Anybody? We had a team. There you go. We had a team get back. When, when Debbie, last night? 1030. 10.30 last night. Well, A mission trip changed my life 40 years ago, and I've been going ever since. And we want you to go, and we want to help you go. We want you to see what God is doing around the world. And the sooner you can get one of your kids on a short-term mission trip, it will turn their life around, and they will never be the same. And we would love to send out another 50 career missionaries who will take the call of Jesus and serve, just serve and help precious people come to know him. I want to show you something that's amazing or eye-popping. Are you ready? <laughs> it's eye-popping. Well, what what's eye-popping? I was here two years, 1995. Our little tiny missions team set a goal and a budget. Could we raise $31,500? I thought that was so astronomical. I went, there is no way. Well, I had so much faith. You know, there's no way we can raise $31,500 because we had nine missionaries or agencies that needed help. I had to go to the board and go, let's take a risk. Well, we don't have the money. Well, maybe we will have the money. Let's take the risk. $31,500. And they took the risk. Every year, they keep taking the risk. Every year, it grows. This year, the mission's budget is almost $450,000. And we will give away $500,000 before the year is over. 
thanks to all those people on that missions team. And they are not supporting nine. They're supporting 49 missionaries and agencies in places you and I could never go. They're there today. Amen. 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 Number five, I have a heart to start multiple, start small. I just call them outposts of the kingdoms, neighborhoods, schools, movie theaters, storefronts that can later become church plants if the folk are faithful. Do you realize we were a church plant? We one time had nobody No facility, no salary, no nothing. It started in a living room with three people. We need to do that over and over and over because the first command is Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply. That's not just children. We want to always be fruitful. We want to keep multiplying believers and multiplying servants and multiplying disciples. Six, we want to see biblical unity. It's happening like never before. I've never seen this before, but it's happening in our city. I I try to take a pastor, a different pastor to lunch or breakfast every week just to get to know them, let them know I care about them, that they got my phone number. If they ever need help, I will always help them. So what's been happening over these two years, friendships have developed. We have a Tuesday morning a prayer group of pastors that travel and we pray for different churches. We've started some accountability groups for pastors so they won't get picked off. If a pastor does well, the whole church does well. If a pastor doesn't do well, he may drag 200 families down with him. And so if we're going to have unity, we're going to have revival, it's going to take unity. And we have to help these leaders see the need. Number seven. We want to see marriages and families thrive. Now, maybe you're like me. Sue and I moved to Kentucky. We moved away from all of our family. We had no family up here. And many of you have no family up here. And many of you don't have good role models. Your dad was an alcoholic. Mom was wounded and she was an addict. Or our dad was in prison. And so you've grown up with all the father figure. You've grown up with wounds and trauma from your family. How do you get over that? You have to see it some way. And we pray we could be a place that helps people learn how to do family. Number eight. How many are still here? You guys still here? Okay, thank you, thank you. Number eight. I hope we can become a clinic church. What, What do you mean a clinic? Is that where I get shots? Uh, no, it's where we can help other churches, other youth groups, other mission teams. Your little pastor, just about everything I've learned has been, I went to a conference on prayer, or I went to a seminar on how to fast, or I went for five days on how to train people to do evangelism. And I look back, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff, but I went other places who said, this is not that hard. You can do it. Now, in a month, Pastor Jim Simbla, who is a well-known writer on prayer, he started pastoring in Brooklyn in a church of about five people that had no money, no facility, no nothing, and they became a house of prayer. Today, they run two to 3,000 people at their prayer meeting every Tuesday night. And it goes for three hours. And people in Brooklyn line up on the sidewalks to get in because they feel God's presence when they go in. And we've asked him for three years to come. And this year, he said, I'll come to Lexington. So he's going to be with us on a Wednesday night. And a Thursday morning, and I believe it's going to be like a spiritual bomb, boom. That there will be some things released in the spiritual realm that will help us be what we need to be. And why would we take time to put on clinics and help other churches? 
simply because we got to pay it forward. If we do something well, it's not for us. It's for other people. And we have to share anything we know so they can thrive. Number nine, want to develop an effective intern system where we train 300 leaders. Somebody's with us for a year. Somebody's with us for six years. Now we trained, we've had a lot of interns with us, but we've not been systematic. And we want people to kind of get embedded here. And learn how to do things, not perfectly, but pretty good. Number 10, more and more we want to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, the leadership and wisdom of the Holy Spirit, and His presence, because that is Jesus' plan. There is no other plan. And if we don't honor the Spirit, we are going to get nowhere. Jesus said, You need to wait for the gift that the Father will send you. And last, number 11. Uh, I didn't see this one coming. We have a building debt on our property. And this church has been blessed. I mean, we have been blessed. Um. But we have a building debt, and since we were paying it down, I never thought of it. I have a lot of other things to think about. Instead, I was at a prayer meeting last year at another church, and they're a fraction of our size. And they had a real nice facility, and I was just talking to the pastor being nice, and he was taking me through it. And I just said, when did you build it? And he told me. I, I thought, well, how much do you guys owe? He said, we owed four, $4 million, which I get. And he said, but we raised money last year, and we paid off $2 million. And I went, what? You guys did that? And I started praying. And I started talking to the board and I started asking the Lord, let me just give you some background of what you enjoy. You may, you enjoy a lot of stuff. You don't even know the background. It was December, 2009. We had five acres and we were running out of room to park. We had a gravel parking lot, children's, everything. We were just tight because we were growing And the two doctors, husband and wife, that lived in the house right over there, called one day and said, how would you like to buy our house and the six acres? Well, we did not have the money. I mean, we were just barely getting by. And then somebody, but you know what? The Lord doesn't make any more land, and it was right beside us. And we thought, this may be the answer to our prayer. They wanted $985,000 for it. Do you know what we paid for the first five acres? Can anybody guess? $60,000. And that was a lot of money when you don't have any money. It was $60,000 for five acres. So for six acres, it was $985,000. And the board decided we would buy it. We would trust the Lord. We'd go to the bank. We'd take out a loan. Average attendance that year was 282 people on Sundays. So we got it. This is a diagram of the property. Now, can you see, look at the parking lot on the right side. See the parking lot? Do you see the line that goes across this like that? That's about where the six acres started. So the two doctors' property line was a fence, and it kind of ran through this room somewhere about here. So four years later, because we were out of space, but now we had more room, we built what we called phase one. 
And if you can distinguish color, see what's salmon colored? Do you see the salmon colored? You see the round, our previous sanctuary that's now our student center. And above it, it's three multi-purpose rooms over there. And it's our wonderful kitchen. It was a foyer we called the Jerusalem Cafe. Our foyer in the other place was so small, people would try to come in, guest, and they couldn't get through it. There was people crowded. And they'd turn around, walk off, drive off. We'd never see them again. So we built the bigger foyer that now the Spanish church is worshiping right now in that other foyer. And by the time we got paying down that first purchase and this, we owed about $2 million. And that was phase two. Our average attendance in 2013 was 699 people per Sunday. So we had grown almost 400 people in attendance in four years. And we were doing four services. Do anybody here, a lot of you guys are new, do you remember four services? Three on Sunday and one on Saturday. And I'd go home Sunday afternoon saying, I finally figured this out. I know what I'm talking about now. (laughs) June 2017, we completed phase two. And can you guess where phase two is? I mean, can you just guess where would that be? It's where you're sitting. It's our worship area. It seats about 750. It's the six wonderful children's rooms. It's our brand new foyer. And down below, we have office space, meeting classrooms, storage. It's a wonderful space. And so rolling that, finish that, that cost us about $4 million to build that. So rolling that mortgage into this new mortgage, we owed $5,699,000. A lot of money. Right now, our monthly payment is thirty-five grand. Can you imagine that? That's more than your car payment. <laughs> and the interest in that is over $25,000. So we're paying $25,000 in interest every month. And the principal is nine grand. You want some good news? You folks have been incredibly generous. We talk about money once a year. We use offering boxes. You guys give faithfully. The Lord has met our bills. We've been paying down our debt. To God be the glory and thanks to you. And there's been a lot of months. So last year we made double payments because we had extra. Do you know if you want to pay your house off, if you make double payments, you will pay it off quicker. So we've gone from at one time about six and a half million. Now, right now, we owe 3.2. Someone say, thank God. Thank God. And if we just, the next five years, if we pay just our payment, we still will owe 1.7. Now, we use every bit of the space, every inch. We just use it seven days a week. And we have three churches. Did you know we have three churches meeting? We have this church, the Spanish church, the Swahili church. It starts about 1230. We, all of us are family. And so we're using the building well. But this is an eye opener. If we wait another five years to pay this down, It's going to be $527,000 in interest. Worship team, would you guys come, please? And we would still owe 1.7. So, on the board, and we started asking, what would it be like if we were debt-free? Would that be good? If we had no debts, we had no payments, and who could we help? What kind of ministries could we empower? Who could we reach if we just took that mortgage payment and put it right to ministry? So your pastor is asking for your input. We are going to start doing surveys. 
in the next three to four weeks and the surveys, some people will get some phone calls. Some people will get emails. And one Sunday, maybe sometime in November, after the church is over, we're going to quit 10 minutes early and everybody will have a sheet. It'll have five or six questions and you can do it electronically, but it just says things like, what do you think? Would it be wise? Would it honor the Lord if we paid this off? What could we do with this ministry money if we did that? The board has made no decisions, but based on what you guys think, the board will decide sometime next year, yes, this is a good thing, or this is not the right time. So we want you to be in prayer, and we'll see what God's up to. Amen? Someone say amen. Amen. I want to close this time with opening the altar. All of us, we want to be faithful and we want to be wise. We want to be shrewd. We want to make the most of our time. We want Jesus to say, well done, good and faithful servant when he returns. And if you're here today, you're new, or if you're watching online and you've never given your heart to Jesus, it starts right there. So I want to lead in a prayer commitment and then the altar will be open as we close our time in worship. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you know every person and you care for them and you died for them and you have a great dream for them to be the people you always wanted them to be. So if anyone here would like to be forgiven, to become a child of the living God and to give Jesus their life. You just pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I've made a mess in my life and I invite you into my life and I say, I'm coming home. Make me your child. Cleanse me of every sin and give me a home in heaven. And I will spend my life serving you as you give me strength in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is open. And there's people here that will pray with you. stand as you're able.
so good to us, so faithful to each of us individually. And Lord, you have been so good to us corporately. And we want to give everything back to you. We want you to use this church the way that you want to use this church. God, I pray that you would lead us. I pray that you would be the one to direct us. We don't want our ideas. We want yours. So we pray that you would lead all of us individually and all of us corporately. We need you and we love you and we thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your love that follow us each day of our lives. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining us today. I hope you all have a blessed day. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today for the first time, would you please reach out to us? We would love to help you take your next steps. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There's also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks for tuning in again and hope to see you next week.